welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is a risk management firm specialising in financial crime. Our aim of these podcasts is to bring you interesting news, interviews and recordings of our exclusive events from the world of financial crime. Modern Slavery and the Insurance Industry In this podcast, Carol Van Randwick, Chief Growth Officer at Themis, talks to Jasmine O'Connor, CEO of Anti-Slavery International, and Charles Matthias, Group Chief Risk Officer at Fidelis Insurance, about the work they have been doing to integrate modern slavery considerations into insurance contracts. Good morning. My name is Carl Van Randwick, Chief Growth Officer of Themis, the tech-focused anti-financial crime specialist. Uh, in this podcast, we will be discussing modern slavery. Yes, it does still exist. In the context of a recent development in the insurance market, that of the Marine Cargo Forced Labour Clause introduced to the market in the summer of 2020, which aims to keep modern slavery out of trade supply chains. Why, you may ask, is this relevant today? Well, without stealing too much of our guest speaker's thunder, it is highly critical in the context of international trade and supply chains and how products that are shipped around the world are produced at source, in some cases using indentured labor or true slave labor. If you didn't already know this from the incident in March this year, when a large container ship ran aground and blocked the Suez Canal, roughly 90% of the world's trade is transported by ship. All this trade needs to be insured, otherwise it is unlikely to be financed. Hence the importance of the marine insurance market for this trade. Furthermore, there is an increased focus by the US, UK and EU country governments that companies should take responsibility for understanding their supply chains to ensure that there is no forced or slave labor in any part of their supply chain. From a personal perspective, in the first 14 years of my life, I grew up in the world of international trade and the shipping of cargo across the Indian Ocean, the Arabian Gulf and the South China Sea. This is one of the many reasons I'm interested to learn more about the development of the marine cargo forced labour clause from our esteemed guests. I'm very excited today to be speaking with Jasmine O'Connor, CEO at Anti-Slavery International, also known as ASI, and Charles Mathias, a Group Executive Director and Group Chief Risk Officer at Fidelis Insurance. Two key players in the development and promotion of this critical clause in marine cargo insurance contracts. Jasmine and Charles, welcome. Hi there. Thank Hi. you very much. Jasmine, if I may start by asking you to set the scene, would you please provide the listeners with the history and purpose of ASI? why slavery and or forced labor is still such an issue today and how it manifests itself in the world as we all thought that slavery had been abolished in the 19th century. Absolutely. And, and first to say, it's a pleasure to be here and, and to sort of be working with, with like-minded individuals that are, are seeking to uh, make sure that slavery is not the scourge that it currently is today. Um, Anti-slavery was really sort of set up as a movement uh, around about 181 years ago. Um, and in a sense, we, we sprung onto the scene to be a sort of solidarity movement that would 
work globally to eradicate slavery. So sort of building on the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade, making sure that slavery was abolished in every uh, corner of the world. Now fast forward to today, and we still are facing the scourge of slavery, um, often in very different forms. It kind of mutates and changes with the times, but the kind of key elements that mean that we are still tackling it include the sort of challenges around laws and policies that don't protect people, the challenges around people being discriminated against because actually to enslave someone, you, you've got to other them. You've got to see them as, 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 as sort of less, less than. And so the, the sort of challenge of discrimination uh, fuels slavery. And I think the third element is often where you find poverty and you find people wanting to make a living, support their families with limited options. So those kind of three elements, really, bad laws and policies, you know, people who are desperate are often in poverty and kind of discrimination, you know, come together and, and create the, the sort of uh, the breeding ground for, for slavery today. And so what anti-slavery does is that we try to take a systemic approach, which works on all of those uh, pillars. Primarily, we're a human rights organisation. We want to make sure that the laws and the policies are in place first and foremost, and that you know governments around the world take their responsibilities seriously, uh, as do as do our corporate uh, friends. Um, I think just a very quick snapshot of, of slavery and what it looks like insofar as the sort of big numbers of all types of slavery, you're looking at over 40 million people uh, being enslaved in some shape or, or form on the planet today. Um, in terms of looking in our uh, sort of supply chains and, and kind of industry, the estimates are that forced labour in industry globally affects uh, around about 16 million people today um, and so it's something that no business uh, no consumer can actually ignore it touches us in, in all sorts of, of ways shapes and forms you know from the clothes that we wear to the you know the phones that we use to the the, the holidays that we that we go on and so really our mission as anti-slavery is to partner with others who want to change change that and make sure that you know, everyone, everywhere is is free from slavery. Thank you, Jasmine. And that's that's really interesting. Um, as you say, it manifests itself in all sorts of different ways. And um, only by working together, as you mentioned, in partnership with other organisations, can we um, raise the issue, make people aware that uh, it exists and the forms, but also that we can uh, aim and work together to um, free those people and eradicate the, the issue. Um, Charles, um, we don't normally associate insurance companies with slavery. Would you please give some background into the Marine Cargo Force Labour Clause, how you identified the need for such a clause and what you'd hope to achieve when you embarked on the journey to implement this clause in standard marine cargo insurance contracts? Sure, thank you, Carol. Um, I suppose the way that we got involved with this in the first place was with ASI um, and our CEO, uh, Richard Brendel here at Fidelis, was a supporter of and a strong supporter of ASI. And ASI originally approached us to see if there was a way of uh, using uh, marine insurers to boycott 
the export of cotton crops produced with forced labour. And we spent a long time trying to think about practical ways in which insurers could do this, because I think, as you mentioned, the, the fundamental premise is that if something is going to be financed, whether that is building a building or exporting um, uh, goods, that uh, financing has to be insured. And so insurance really gets involved in every area of industry and commerce right across the globe. And so we spent some time uh, talking with colleagues in the market about a, an approach to this where we could try to um, raise the issue of uh, the uh, prevalence of forced and slave labour in the supply chain. And we worked with a number of, of counterparties, particularly with the two biggest brokers in, in the world, uh, in Marsh and uh, Aon, to craft a clause that would at the very least serve to put on record that there was a requirement for our insureds, the people buying the coverage, to abide by the uh, applicable local laws and regulations about forced and slave labour. Uh, and I guess what we had hoped to achieve really was two things, was to try to um, to raise the consciousness of the issue amongst insurers. And I think something that uh, ASI, when they have presented to the marine insurance market, a lot of the feedback that we've had from people in the market is they had no idea just how widespread uh, uh, forced and slave labor is in the world economy. And then having raised that, um, raised that consciousness of the, of the scale of the problem, then to try to uh, prevent uh, insurance supporting and facilitating that slave labour. Um, and so that re really the aim was to try to get as close to, as we can to a universal take up of that clause in the market, working as say with the likes of Aon and Marsh with peer insurers and with a thing called the Joint Cargo Committee, which is the main body that uh, is a sort of trade group for marine cargo insurers. Right. Well, so, um, and Jasmine, um, in terms of working together with Charles, what was the reaction that you thought you would get and then what you actually received when talking to insurers? Well, I mean, the first, first thing to say is that, I mean, uh, uh, Fidelis and particularly the group CEO, Richard Brindle, has been a, a sort of long-term supporter of ASI. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the first point, I guess, is that getting that partnership in place and being able to work together, um, I think it's just been really, really exciting and really important. I mean, I think, you know, the insurance industries, in some ways, it, you know, it's like no other sorry it's like every other industry in the respect that you know people don't necessarily know the extent of forced labor until somebody opens their eyes to it it's not something that there's huge general public awareness around and i think from my experience working with 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 charles 
when we've come together and we've held those sort of awareness raising sessions, we've had kind of round tables, we've brought people with lived experience. So we had a, a one speaker, Rahima Mamut, who comes from Uyghur uh, background and obviously can speak to the atrocities of, of forced labor in, in that context in China. That when we bring people together to actually hear what's going on, you know, people people have have said this is this isn't good enough. We want to we want to do something, and there has been um, a desire to act. The challenge is then um, making sure that the that the clause is is adopted and and used, and that that action um, doesn't sort of get watered down by um, the sort of bureaucratic barriers. Um, that I think every every business and every sector can have. But my sense has been that there's a lot of very very willing allies and as we come together and keep pushing um this this clause and the uptake of this clause um it's you know it's something that will will have have impact but i think the other the other bit probably to say alongside that is that the clause um is effective insofar as it holds companies to adhere to um you know both their moral duty but also their legal duty so an important part for us is building those allies uh, across different sectors to push for um you know laws that have teeth in every jurisdiction because there's a, a sort of a patchwork of laws at the moment some of which are, are effective others which are are less effective yeah. Um, and this is for for both of you. Um, it's interesting reading the clause that it really c commits um, companies that are um, adopting the insurance contract with this clause in it to abide by existing legal and regulatory requirements around um, non-slavery or um, forced labour or people working in conditions which are not acceptable in the home country to where the goods are being transported. And uh, that I f find very interesting as well. Um, Charles, to, to what extent is has there been take up, if you looked at it from a percentage perspective, uh, uh, of all the marine insurance contracts that are now being signed because this was a contract that was introduced last year, um, what percentage do you think now is is taking up this clause in their marine uh, insurance contracts? So um, I'm delighted to tell you that we uh, obviously we we completed our first half of the year through two quarters of the year, and we asked our marine cargo team to um, provide us with statistics on that. And I'm delighted to say that 89% of the uh, marine cargo policies that we um, have entered into this year have the clause. Uh, there are, in fact, two clauses. One of the two clauses uh, on the on our placement. So that's that's been really significant. And I think to to the point you made earlier, um, when we first talked to peers about this. The first question was, well, why is this our problem? And exactly as Jasmine says, it's getting that understanding that this is not something, as you said in your introduction, Carol, that was a problem of two centuries ago. This is here and now. The second was, well, you know, we're already terrifically busy and we have to engage with our clients and a lot of, you know, difficult conversations. 
this is, you know, we, we don't have time to do additional due diligence. And that's why we very much focused this on uh, abide, you know, a commitment to recognise and abide by existing law and regulation and not therefore to incur any significant additional burden. But I guess the third point around it is uh, that for all of financial services, we are all becoming much more aware of the reputational risk that we run from being on the wrong side of environmental social issues. Uh, and we've seen it very dramatically in the case of coal on the, on the environmental side, uh, where there has been very concerted, uh, very well-targeted campaigns by NGOs to try to get insurers to state publicly what their position on, on coal is and how that fits with their stated environmental goals. And I think we're now seeing that, you know, this is part of the transition of that to the social sphere as well. And so I think people are very aware of that reputational risk. And I think they're very uh, focused on how they mitigate that risk. And clearly signing up to this is, is an important way of doing that. And we're, we're busy encouraging with, uh, with Jasmine's help, our, our peers in the market, and uh, certainly by telling them that we've, we've succeeded in getting on 89% of our contracts, we hope that's uh, a strong encouragement to peers to do that too. Right. And Jasmine, is there anything you'd like to add on top of that? Uh, to, to what Charles has just said. I mean, just to sort of wholeheartedly agree um, and, and, and to sort of say that, you know, these, these areas are joining up, of course, when it comes to the sort of proposed um, directive and legislation in, in Europe. So, you, you know, you'll be aware of the mandatory human rights um, uh, uh, and environmental due diligence clause that, that actually is, is seeking to mandate companies to do due diligence um, across their, their supply chains. And, you know, so there's there's a sort of sense in which, you know, there's a stick coming, if you like, and, and we want to actually work with companies to get ahead of that legislative curve, uh, you know, and, and have a race to the top, because these, these um, you know, laws are are changing, that, you know, the, the, the provisions are are sort of ratcheting, ratcheting up, you know, and, and rightly so. But there's a sense in which, you know, we, as I say, we want to kind of prepare, prepare not just the insurance sector but other sectors for that, and, and to sort of partner to to make that that happen in a in a way where it it, it doesn't become, um, you know, unwieldy or, or or too or too difficult, uh, and isn't sort of sprung on people, you know, overnight. Mm. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, just taking a little bit of my own experience, having been a, a global chief operating officer in a, a part of an investment bank, you're always looking to drive down costs and, and uh, grow revenue. Um, and I'm very conscious that in the procurement department of various organizations, particularly um, with the um, general services that are applied in offices, uh, th there is a, a lot of pressure to renegotiate contracts, uh, push down prices, etc. But there comes a point when you're, um, you need to stand back and take a look at the contracts you're negotiating, thinking, um, how are they, can they possibly deliver this service with um, the requirements for minimum wages, fair wages, etc. 
um, surely there's an, another angle that uh, could be looked at as well to challenge and question suppliers as to whether they are um, employing uh, their employees appropriately and providing the services that you're asking for. Yeah, Carol, it's, it's such a good point that we, um, and we have found one of the objections that was raised or potential objections that people raised was saying, well, you know, we, we have to focus our discussions with our clients around, you know, what's happening in our marketplace and actually marine cargo prices have been going up. So that's a difficult conversation with, with clients. And, you know, we've had to put exclusions for COVID on and that's a difficult conversation with our clients um, or reshape COVID coverage. And, and now, you know, we've got another thing where we've got to engage with them and say, you know, we need you to sign up to this forced labour clause and, you know, we've got to explain what they need to do for that. And so there was a lot of concern that this would be a bad um, contact point with clients. What we've found is actually when we've gone to clients and explained why we think this is important, why we're asking for it, we increasingly find clients who are, and this is from a whole range of industries, including you know the garment industry, including commodities industries, uh, who come to us and say, well, actually, we'd like to show you how we manage our due diligence on our supply chain, because we think we do a really good job of it, and we're very happy to tell you about it. So I think it can absolutely be a positive and not just a negative point of engagement with, with our clients. I think, yeah. I think I'd make another another point sort of in addition to that, because the, I think that that that's exactly it is, is turning it into positive and, and making it it's something that's a, a good engagement. And I think the other bit, really, from my perspective, is that it's got to be pretty competitive. You know, the, the way that we come together and we work to eradicate um, slave labour, you know, it has to become a pre-competitive space so that it isn't a race to the bottom and I think that's that's partly what's happening you know through this clause it, it's basically saying that everybody's going to do it we're all going to adopt it so everybody's in the same boat you know in terms of having to make sure that they've got that that due diligence done and I think that's super that's super important because that that is what will you know ultimately drive drive change and I think that the challenging bit of that is that it it you know it does of course sometimes hit at the, the the sort of heart of, of a business model as well. And, and so I do think, you know, there's a challenge to sort of rethink some business models across um, sort of different different sectors. And so this clause, you know, at, you know, as it sits alongside the kind of legislative piece, as it sits alongside the growing awareness piece, has real potential to, I think, shift, shift things, uh, you know, holistically so that we are creating that, race to the to the top um you know across all of our business models and the way the way that trade is is done globally yeah i'm i'm very conscious of time and uh, uh ju just wanted to wrap up really think thanking you for uh, your massive contributions but before we go from each of you jasmine first what are the next steps where because the work is far from over um, so where do you see this going next? Well, I think the next steps for us are, you know, increasing that awareness of uh, insurance companies, uh, making sure that everybody understands, you know, what, what slave labour is, that it's here today. It's something that didn't get eradicated 
um, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, uh, and to to work to, I mean, you know, fantastic news that we, we that that your audit showed such a high number of of contracts, but you know, let, we're going to be aiming for the hundred percent, aren't we? That that's where we're that's where we're going with this, um, and alongside that, you know, as anti-slavery, working with partners uh, across corporate sectors to push for the legislation to have the right kind of teeth in, in every jurisdiction globally. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's absolutely spot on. I think uh, for us, you know, we're, we're not there yet with, with the marine cargo clause, so we want to keep on pushing and encouraging uh, peers to, to adopt it and understand that, that you know, it, it isn't a, a business prevention um, uh, problem. Uh, but I think, you know, we do then think that there are other areas of the insurance market where this would be applicable. And in fact, you know, we particularly find with some of our underwriters now from other lines of business that they come to us and say, well, surely that clause, you know, or a variation of it should apply to my business line too. I want to get involved. So yes, very much, you know, we, we want to consolidate, make sure we're there with marine cargo, but then we want to use that as a, as a best practice example for other lines of, of business. So yeah, very much we're at the beginning of this, not, uh, not approaching the end. Because I can imagine that um, in the agricultural sector, in construction, uh, as you mentioned, also the garment uh, industry, you know, d d it applies equally in the UK as it does in continental Europe or the, the EU or other G20 countries, you know, which are um, really meant to be taking the lead in um, their in put it the d demonstrating what is best practice in other parts of the world uh, jasmine and charles thank you so much for your time today and fascinating insight into this really important aspect in the fight against modern slavery today and as you said this fight is far from over it's really only just begun and uh, there are so many bad actors uh, all over the world taking advantage of disadvantaged people but by only getting business involved and by doing the right thing will we make a dent into this area i've learned a great deal of the challenges of raising awareness um, in the insurance market and other parts of the global sourcing um, and supply chains world so um, I feel more comfortable talking about this to other people and uh, really appreciate uh, your time today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for inviting us. Thanks, Carol. Absolute pleasure. This podcast is part of a series of virtual discussions we have published as part of our work addressing modern slavery and human trafficking. We're working in partnership with the UK Independent Anti-Slavery Commissioner to explore the ways in which the financial services sector can identify and prevent modern slavery and human trafficking. If you have time, I would encourage you to listen to the other podcasts in this series, which involve a range of expert speakers and highlight the excellent work being done by many of the industry's champions to address this terrible crime. Thank you for listening to the latest Themis podcast. We hope you found it interesting and informative. If you would like to find out more about Themis, Get in touch with us via our website, www.crime.financial. You can also subscribe for future news and interviews.